Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening in to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined by Reverend Dr. Stephanie Rose Spaulding. Hello. Hi. Thank you, Lauren, for having me on. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule, and uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation, and I hope um, it's helpful to our listeners. So let me just tell folks about you here real quick. Uh, Pastor Stephanie uh, she has quite a background, and I'm trying to find where I put that. <laughs> oh, here it is. Reverend Dr. Stephanie Rose Spalding is a well sought out keynote speaker, respected commentator on social and political issues, and a popular diversity, equity, and inclusion workshop facilitator. Drawing on her thorough academic training as a critical race and gender scholar, as well as her work in public advocacy, she is a refreshing voice in justice and liberation practices. So that's a little bit about uh, Pastor Stephanie. Anything else you'd like to for our listeners to know? Well, I will just say again, thank you for everybody that's tuning in right now and for inviting me to be on your show. I have been here in Colorado for about 10 years now. I grew up on the south side of Chicago and a lot of what you just read, I never thought that that would be my life. But wow. as we move and operate in faith, um, mm-hmm. it has been quite a journey. And every day I feel like this is just a beginning. Awesome. And I always ask my guests, what has it meant uh, for you to be a Christian in the past? And if that's changed at all, what does that look like now, if anything's different? I think for me, it's so essential to who I am as a person. Like I said, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in a very spiritual faith community. Mm -hmm. And I essentially don't know life without Christ. Okay. And so that in and of itself is a pretty unique experience, especially growing up in the late 70s and 80s, where I was pastored by an African-American woman on the south side of Chicago who she herself only had a high school, formal high school education and was able to do so much ministry and um, just tremendous work for my parents' generation Mm -hmm. and subsequently for modeling for me who I understood to be a reflection of God um, on earth. And so I'm really grateful for the examples that I was able to live with and to have mentor and shape me. And I can say that the language of Christian and what it means in larger society right now has of course shifted and navigating between what mediated narratives talk about 
especially in political settings around Christians and Christianity mm-hmm. is not necessarily what I personally embrace and what I have seen and modeled throughout my life. So there are some tensions that <laughs> exist right now when we think about the larger public sphere and what's going on around um, the the merger of co-opting Christianity. Yeah. yeah. If I might ask, it leads me to a question. Do you find that ever a challenge in your spaces that you work in, uh, especially as Christianity is so, as you were to use, co-opted by evangelicalism and uh, this resistance to, I mean, now there's this kind of pushback against critical race theory and any mm-hmm. kind of talk about Black Lives Matter. Um, Absolutely. So spaces. <laughs> So one, I am an intellectual and I'm also a social, a social justice advocate. And in both of those spaces, the question of how to be religious or spiritual and to embody a spiritual practice comes up all the time, right? Because A, you have the academy that does not think that spirituality is intellectual. And I'm like, I don't know what (laughs) you are talking about, but um, it is definitely a a complex negotiation of being in the world and, and in a, you know, just in existence. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the social justice side, that co-opting of conservative uh, conservative evangelical practice that has just become i just idolatry you know um and the worst possible ways creates a, a a a real tension for people like myself who are intelligent um complex critical thinkers but recognize that my existence is much larger than just this time and space on earth that we occupy briefly, um, as well as to really live in that Micah 6-8 space of doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. Great. You you mentioned spiritual practices. I'm curious, has there been a spiritual practice you've developed or would recommend to others that's been meaningful to you? Um, sure. For for me, like I said, um, when I moved here ten years ago, it was not the easiest move. When I think about how even the leadership of the university was telling me that it's hard for African-American professionals to thrive in Colorado and specifically Colorado Springs due to the level of racism that exists in this city. And, you know, like, so hearing that (laughs) well into the first week (laughs) of, of being present in this space forced me to make some deliberate choices and part of that choice was to find a, a faith community that I could not only just be in, but I could thrive and grow with. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I was able to do that. Um, it didn't happen immediately. It took about two years to find the, the space and place for me. But 
being intentional about finding that. And in every aspect of my life, it doesn't matter whether I'm running for office or, um, you know, as a practicing academic, to keeping that space sacred for me um, and that community sacred for me. So I intentionally take Sabbaths and intentionally um, schedule to make sure that I have the time to spend in community, in faith community, and in study with each other um, because it, it, it honestly means the world to me. And then I still spar with my, uh, my, my parents on yeah. theology and, and, yeah. and things like that. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely am very deliberate in, in taking the time and space to honor who I understand myself to be in relationship with Christ. I'm curious if, if, if I can just kind of spring this on you here, you mentioned your, your faith community, specifically a faith community of color being a really informative for your, your work in the world. And certainly as, as I understand, at least a lot of the civil rights movement in the sixties being really mobilized and centralized and, and certainly in churches and communities of faith, how would you see, how do you, and how do you see maybe uh, faith communities of color today uh, being supportive and in a, in a similar, similar way? Does that make sense? Sure. I think it's still very prevalent. Um, I know that my congregation and we are in a progressive congregation, mm -hmm. we talk deliberately about social justice issues um, because we're raising children. We are facing the same kinds of oppression that other um, members of our society are facing. So we don't run from that. And they, they also have a pastor who has run for public office twice now. Yeah. So it is, um, it's not so easy for them to not pay attention, even if we aren't, you know, I don't go into congregation and into worship politicking, right. but they, they are paying attention. They are aware of what is happening in the world around them and specifically in the communities around us. And so I still think that in African-American communities and communities of color across the country, that those places of faith still are um, hold leadership when it comes to social concerns and issues and navigating those conversations, even in 2020. Hmm. I feel like I should mention for our listeners, uh, Pastor Stephanie did run, so it would have been the 2018 midterms for the, the, the House of Representatives for Colorado, your district, right? Correct. And then you, uh, and you're running in the Democratic primary for the 2020 Democratic Senator from Colorado. Do I have that right? Correct. Yes. And this is fun. Uh, we we're talking about this before we started recording. Ben and Jerry's actually named an ice cream flavor. After yes. Pastor Stephanie, Rocky Mountain Rose. So yes, yeah. well, that is that's yeah. definitely a highlight. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll we'll jump into your work here for the Truth and Conciliation Commission.
looking for a progressive, inclusive church that allows you to ask questions, explore your faith, and connect with God? Check out Mission Gathering Thornton, a community of Jesus followers dedicated to growing in faith, living whole lives, and seeking justice for the good of all. As an online church with incarnational communities, we're meeting together online and in person with opportunities for you to connect with people across the street and all over the world. So visit us at mgthornton.org. Find us on Facebook and YouTube. We'd love to have you be a part of this life-giving community. Okay, we're back with Pastor Stephanie, and I want to talk about your work with your Truth and Conciliation Commission. So I'd like to hear, and I'd love for our listeners to hear, kind of about the goals, the mission of the commission. So the goal of the commission is to actually have a federal commission that deals with racial harm and Mm -hmm. the redress of that harm. So for any of you who are listening and may not be familiar, there are about 40 countries that have had truth and reconciliation commissions. The very first, the very first being South Africa at the fall of apartheid. Mm -hmm. So once apartheid was over, they intentionally began to ask of one another what the human rights violations were and to testify to speak to those human rights violations in an effort to move the nation forward. Now, you know, hindsight is 2020 and there are so many critiques of the process that happened in South Africa, but they were innovative and conscientious enough to know that when you have that kind of deep human rights violations to occur, yeah. You have to speak to them. You have to call it out. And so they, they laid the groundwork for truth and reconciliation. Um, and like I said, there have been about 40 countries uh, internationally that have done different truth and reconciliation um, commissions to redress tremendous human rights violations. However, the United States has never, has never done anything like that as a nation. And we know that for centuries, um, white racial violence has plagued this country from genocide to land um, theft to enslavement of African peoples Mm -hmm. in this place that we call America. And we have never had the acknowledgement or the conversations around those human rights violations and the trauma that has been carried in the bodies and the psyches of people impacted, whether you were um, victimized by it and survived it or benefited from it. That still shifts the, the psyche and the body yeah. Um, and we've never dealt with it. Yeah. So after, after this last, just massive uprising at the death of George Floyd mm-hmm. Memorial weekend of this year, I, in doing activism work, I recognized also scholastically 
that we are in such a horrific cycle of death, acknowledgement, um, outcry, then the outcry dies down until death happens again. And so for me, in that moment, it was, what can we do to break this cycle that mm-hmm. is going to be structural so that we can begin to address the, the things that have been institutionalized so that we won't keep coming back to the same place. And yeah. in that process, I recognize that the very first truth, if we are to ever do this work effectively, is to tell ourselves and to know that we as a nation cannot do reconciliation work. We are not like other places. It will not work for the United States because the premise of reconciling is to go back to a place where there was agreement. Yeah. And when we think about racial harm and violence, there has never been a place of agreement. So we cannot go back or return to an agreed moment we must do the work together to a tell the truth mm-hmm. and then to build what the agreement will be going forward yeah uh, that's one of the things i was going to ask you about was the the choice of the word conciliation versus reconciliation and i think you just laid it out there that it's it's reconciliation as i understand it, it speaks to going back to something like you said and there's like you said there's nothing to go back to uh, right to build off of and i like how how you say that there's no conciliation without truth um and i i think about um like how you said we can't move forward without talking about the past and i, I was talking with a, a guest in my last season reverend reverend carol howard Merritt, who's done a lot of work on spiritual trauma and mm-hmm. we talked about kind of how t- when dealing with trauma you have to be at a willing to talk about the past and mm-hmm. we're talking about it in context of church and how churches can be so loath to talk about the past uh and certainly that same thing is true in america like we yes. don't want to talk about it no we just want to sweep it under the rug yeah. and believe that that we can heal and um <laughs> i i <laughs> i i've watched videos of um like like deep um, blackheads, right? Like blackheads mm-hmm. being removed. <laughs> and, <laughs> and some people are like, why are you so fascinated? You because and my wife I, like this. <laughs> That's gross. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But on the surface, for, for most people, it just looks like a mole, right? It yeah. just looks like a mole. And, and some of them, for the most part, are just that. But then there are these ingrained deeply rooted ones where you have to have them surgically removed right Mm -hmm. and so there's this one video where they are cutting open the skin digging deep down and it has been growing for so long oh that just the image is disgusting (laughs) me i know i know but it's the perfect metaphor for racism right perfect metaphor and we think that we could just gloss over it and if we just pick the top of it Mm -hmm. away then it'll go away 
not knowing how much that oil and bacteria and all of that stuff is deeply embedded in the body so much so that it looks like tree trunks, you know, in some of them. Um, and, and we have to surgically remove them. I think the work of truth and conciliation is that spiritual surgery Mm. to surgically remove what is so deeply embedded in who we are. And yes, it's going to hurt. It's going to bleed. We have to cut, we have to dig, but, if we don't do it, then we have only glossed over the issues. Wow. That's, uh, that's powerful stuff. What is, if I can ask this, what, is, what do you think that spiritual surgery looks like for many people? Um, so it is both personal, individual, um, interpersonal as well as structural, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to have the conversations we are so afraid of asking and talking about for ourselves, the things that we gloss over when we are at Thanksgiving dinner yeah. and we are looking at um, our, you know, the drunk uncle who just keeps saying racist stuff out the side of their neck. And we're mm-hmm. just like, oh, that's Uncle Bill. We have to ask those questions about why do I allow Uncle Bill to be Uncle Bill? How did Uncle Bill get to be Uncle Bill? Where did this stuff come from? How did I see, how did I become um, a raced person, whether that is black or um, white or Mm -hmm. Hispanic? How did, how did we become raced? What was the process that our family experienced? What did we lose? What did we gain? Who Mm -hmm. did we impact? We have to have those conversations. And then we also have to have those conversations structurally. How have we constructed this nation via the law, via our financial institutions, via our education systems that privilege and oppress whole populations, whole communities? We have to be able to dig into that, to learn it, um, and, and not to, I, I've said this before, not to rewrite history, but to mm-hmm. actually learn the complexities of it. Yeah. We have learned such sanitized, um, singular narratives yeah. that we, we don't have a full understanding, a full grasp on the histories uh, that have shaped us. Yeah. Um, kind of related to that, one of the words you use um, I think it's on your, your website or, or the truth and reconciliation website is the idea of white people not being allies, but accomplices. Can you, can you speak mm-hmm. to that? Absolutely. So the work of an ally often means that you can tap in and tap out when you're ready, you yeah. know, yeah. when it, when it suits you that you can stand in solidarity or you could go home and just watch game of Thrones if you feel like it. <laughs> Yeah. But a but an accomplice is so invested and embedded in the work, committed to the work, that there is no tapping in and tapping out. That if anything happens and goes down, that they are accountable just as everyone else um, for the responsibility of that work. And so the metaphor that I liked or the parable that I like to use. Um, in relationship to an ally versus an accomplice mm-hmm. is is the chicken and the pig 
in making breakfast, right? You okay. know, um, I don't know if you've heard that parable before, but I'm guessing the, chicken, the, the pig the is chicken, all in. Exactly. The chicken <laughs> comes to the pig yeah. and it's just like, let's make breakfast. Yeah. And the pig is like, hmm, hmm. Um, <laughs> sure. But you, you have to recognize that you are a contributor versus I am committed. Hmm. Well, that's, yeah, that's good. Um, can I ask, let me ask this. Austin is a white, as a white man who lives in the burbs, suburbs. And I'm thinking, you know, Colorado has a lot of suburbs and the suburbs have been in the news recently. We're recording this in early September. The president is trying to play the suburbs against play that fear card about the suburbs in, you know, whatever Joe Biden's America would be. Um, what would you say for, you know, white suburbanites like myself, uh, as far as becoming accomplices, we're so far removed from the day to day. Uh, it's so easy to be removed at least, um, what's happening in the inner city and in communities of color. Um, how do you advise for folks like myself to be accomplices rather than just allies who are in and out? That makes sense. So again, it's having these conversations around the truth, right? Are you really outside of these experiences and the realities? I think this global pandemic should have opened up so many people's eyes, right? Mm -hmm. um, how many people in the suburb lost healthcare because yeah. it was privatized mm. and they lost their jobs? So in one way where we have heard this fear mongering around you don't want to socialize healthcare because right. again um you don't want to be a communist or what have you the privatization allowing the privatization um of healthcare for so long made all of us vulnerable yeah um how many parents in the suburbs are freaking out it's what in colorado week three yeah. of going I'm back to school. I'm freaking out. <laughs> How many? Yeah, because, yeah. because we are all vulnerable. Yeah. So if one, one group of, if we are comfortable with one group of people in our society being vulnerable, the reality is anything can come along and sweep the rug from under our feet. Mm. And this global pandemic should have taught us that lesson. Um. Yeah, I can't think of the song. I'm blanking on it, but I, I remember speaking on this. Um, the story of King Herod and Baby Jesus. I'm blanking on the artist who kind of wrote the song that, like, when the king comes for one of you, he's gonna eventually come for all of you. Mm -hmm. Yep. I should. People are gonna kill. They're gonna hate me. I forgot the singer, but uh, that's the general idea. Um. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up the pandemic, though, because I was thinking about, and I think you wrote that it, it brings up the disease of racism in America. And as a pastor, um, I wonder if you think in this way, but I was thinking about recently, like the idea of apocalypse. And, and certainly we think of apocalypse as like traditionally in our American culture, it's like, you know, disaster films and the end of the world. But in its truest sense, it means an unveiling. And I wonder, like, is an, an apocalypse meaning like, is it like an unveiling of truth that's caused by like a 
disaster or structural upheaval. Do you think that language fits with kind of what we're seeing in COVID, like revealing so many truths, like truths that you just kind of pointed out? Yes, I do. I think that um, sometimes, and I just two weeks ago preached on Ecclesiastes 3, mm-hmm. sometimes the, the stuff has to hit the fan. Yeah. It has to. So you can realize the mess that you were in <laughs> and did not know it, right? And yeah. I think that this pandemic has done that for us, mm-hmm. or it has done it for me. And I pray that it has done it for so many others to, to unveil all the systems that you thought were comfortable yeah. and would last forever, that they're not, that they are um, unstable and need to be destabilized, right? That we need to be able to see and understand what it's like when you don't have um, quality broadband. Yeah. Because, you know, what what happens yeah. when the five of you are at home yep. and three of the kids are trying to do homework or yep. um, at the same time or trying to get online for, for class and stuff like that. And if you are frustrated with a median income of $75,000 to $100,000, imagine people who are only bringing in 30 and the students who are being forced and asked to go to places like McDonald's where there are hot spots, but couldn't like, they couldn't do that in May because the McDonald's were closed. The the Starbucks were closed. Right. So if you can, can, well, I'll say if we as the larger body of the church can Mm -hmm. get outside of our, own um, egos and our own selves and recognize how flustered and frustrated we were in this pandemic to realize this is the this is the everyday for some people in our society Mm, yeah yeah i'm glad you bring that up about the the internet access broadband um as i sit here i'm recording in a church uh and i was thinking about last week doing some research on like this big apartment building across the parking lot from my church like what would be the possibility of like shooting broadcasting internet to them because i've thought about that too like in my own household like we can you know we can relatively manage relatively manage at home schooling because we have internet and a decent speed but yeah, I've thought about um, low-income folks and and how much challenge that would be. But again, it's kind of this this disruption that we have in a, most of societies kind of disregarded, overlooked. Um, that how can people get accessible, reasonable schooling when they can't even get internet? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What else, if I can ask? What else do you think churches, especially white or majority white churches, can and should be doing? Uh, around the subject? So, um, again, I I think the shifting of resources is, and how we think about resources, right? The tithing into God's kingdom is more than just, okay, um, 
is our building fund taken care of? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are we running our after school program? Um, I, I just recently saw some community organizers mm-hmm. and I think about the language of reparations all the time. And yes, I'm an advocate for reparations at the federal level, mm-hmm. but we all in our own corner and space of the world can be repairs of the breach, right? That's what mm-hmm. reparations mean to repair the breach. And we can all be doing work to repair the breach with whatever we have access to. So mm-hmm. I saw some community organizers just recently thinking about the lack of health care and what um, COVID has revealed about people's access to health care and who doesn't have access to health care. And they pulled money together and bought an ambulance. They didn't wait wow. for the city. Yeah, they didn't wait for the city to give them a grant. They didn't wait for it to be um, written into the city um, mandates and ordinances to provide for community health care or you know health practice or whatever. And it and it's just um, it's really low level basic needs or whatever like do you need your blood pressure taken or um have you been able to get a covid test or mm-hmm. are you experiencing um you know like a a personal trauma right now and don't want to call the police they were like yeah. look we yeah. know what the vi- the violence could potentially be if you can't even get your temperature checked you know yeah. um and whether or not you'll be able to go to work and so they came collectively together to solve a problem with the with the resources that they had in front of them you mm-hmm. know and that i think and you know and for the, because i know these individuals they are not necessarily um religious folks but mm-hmm. that is what the church looks like to me oh that is what we have been called to be mm-hmm. um the legs the feet the arms the hands of Christ, right? Like yeah. that's what ministry looks like for me, and I think that that's what churches across this country need to be doing. Um, looking at, you know, very uh, Moses-like, what do you have in your hand, mm-hmm. <laughs> and use that. <laughs> that's a great analogy. I'm writing that down. <laughs> what do you have <laughs> in your hand? Yeah. I, I, I'm stuck on that because I think even thinking back just to to my days in my youth growing up growing up Christian and there's this this the sense of like be a world changer do all these huge things and wow the way you say it pastor Stephanie so simple what do you have in your hands uh mm-hmm. I'm I don't know if this comes to mind for you but I'm thinking of the what the young boy with the five loaves and two fishes or whatever it was yes. Yep. And it's that it's that very like tangible, accessible, right in your wheelhouse. Hmm. If you are willing to give it back to God, he will multiply it. Well, that'll preach. All right. Well, let's take a break real quick and uh, we'll come back with some closing questions. It's not like we haven't all said it enough lately. These are unprecedented times. COVID-19 has upended the way we do life, community, and church. 
As church leaders, we find ourselves disoriented. Outreach, connection, cultivating a sense of team among church staff and creatives, nothing works like it did before. Torn Curtain Arts gets it, and we're here to help. We strengthen the creative soul of churches. It's why we exist. And in these times, we have dedicated ourselves to helping churches set up live streaming solutions and assisting with live events. We also provide coaching for worship leaders, as well as substitute worship leading for both in-person and online events. Contact us at torncurtainarts.org and let's chat about how we can keep you connected to your creativity in this season and grow your community. All right, we're back with Dr. Reverend, oh, I'm saying that wrong, Reverend Dr. Stephanie Rose Spalding. At one point, uh, Pastor Stephanie, I had always thought that if you had a PhD versus D-min, it was Dr. <laughs> Reverend rather than Reverend Doctor, but <laughs> I don't know. I'm not hung up on titles, so it's all good. Well, Reverend Doctor is impressive for sure. Either way, if it's Dr. Reverend or Reverend Doctor, so kudos there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to, but if you're Pope for a day or the equivalent, uh, imagine your equivalency. Uh, I always give folks some leeway there. Do you have a one big agenda item you'd like to accomplish? Ooh, um, that is not a light question for me. If I were indeed Pope for a day, um, the safety and security of children mm. is certainly what I would address. Good. Yeah. Um, do you have a theologian or Christian figure you'd like to meet or bring back to life? Um, I would love to sit down with Harriet Tubman. Mm. She never lost anybody, but she didn't kill anybody either. And she ran with that shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm very curious, you know, in her faith, how she did it. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit more? I'm not familiar with that story. So, yeah, um, the, as she liberated people, the, the story is that she also um, carried a shotgun because mm -hmm. at different points in the process, even though she was fully committed and she knew what it would take to get them out of the South and into the um, free states and into the North, that at several points, people would want to go back. They would want to turn back. And she would level that shotgun and say, you can either die here or you can keep moving. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. What an interesting story. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Uh, what do you think... Christianity will be remembered for in 500 years? I pray, and given this moment, I pray that Christianity is remembered as um, a place where justice did rise up, mm. where we were not afraid to address the ludicrousy and just the idolatry that is going on right now, that we had the courage to actually live the word of God. Hmm. That's great. 
Do you have any thoughts on what Christianity might look like conversely in 500 years? Mm. Um, if we are doing it right, then we are in a more equitable and justice-oriented society mm-hmm. that we don't have parents making the decision between getting their child's medicine or paying for rent. Yeah. If we are doing it right 500 years from now, we are not seeing people priced out of sustainable living. We actually still have a planet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be a start, we've right? Been good stewards of the earth. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of reflecting all that in. What a change that would be, just breathing mm-hmm. all that in. Well, uh, thank you so much again for your time. I appreciated this conversation. Where can people find out more about you? Absolutely. I have a personal website, Dr. Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-Y-R-O-S-E.com. So that's if you want to learn more about me as a speaker and educator and anything like that. And then you can also find out more about our work with the Truth and Conciliation Commission. And that is truthandconciliation.org. Yeah. And there's a, what, there's some kind of, you have a call to action you ask for people that um, I would encourage everyone to do. To, yes. To, we, we ask that you take the pledge. Yeah. And once you take the pledge, we um, have a ebook that you can download and start reading to help us begin to do this work together. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much again for your time and uh, blessings to you and your, your ministry and your, and your loved ones down there in the spring. So uh, may God's peace be with you. And with you as well. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, Do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast, and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.